Peace and mercy be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today comes from the gospel. Here a portion of the gospel lesson again. Then Jesus said to them, watch out, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even if someone is very wealthy. A little bit of the background about this text. As pastor sort of pointed out at the beginning, it was a dispute between two brothers who were arguing over an inheritance. If you've ever had anybody in your family die and you were somehow connected to the will, you know how sometimes money can cause division and fighting in families. It can get sometimes quite ugly. And so in our text today, we see that happening with what's going on between these two brothers. It reminds me, actually, of a story about greed. There was a man who had just bought himself a brand new Beamer, BMW. He was driving through California when the big one hit. And all of a sudden, his Beamer goes crashing down into the ravine. He barely escapes with his life. He gets out. He's looking down over the ravine at his his broken, smashed-up Beamer, and he's just distraught. A passerby comes by and sees what happens, and he tries to point out to the man that what he's losing is really more important than just his Beamer. He says, sir, you've also lost your left arm. And the man cries out, oh, Lord, my Rolex, my Rolex. In our text for today, we see that these two people are asking Jesus to be a mediator between them and their dispute. And Jesus tries to point out that he did not come for the minute temporal things of this world, but he came with a much bigger purpose in mind. And he says to these two brothers, be on your guard against greed. And and he said that because as you look at what happened in in our text, our reading from the epistle lesson from Colossians, Paul names all the things in our life that can distract us and take our focus off of God. And greed is one of those. Because what greed does is greed becomes an insatiable desire for wanting more and more and more. And it becomes an all-consuming part of your life, the desire to always want more. It's funny, my daughter asked me yesterday, Dad, you have to make out your Christmas list. I'm like, I don't really want anything. I'm like, I'm 50-some years old. I don't need to collect more things. But if you think about it, sometimes our mindsetting, what greed does is keep saying, you need more. You need more toys. You need more of this. You need more of that. One of my favorite commercials a long time ago was a guy sitting in a bistro. He looks out the window, and on the billboard, he sees this beautiful new Lexus. And then Satan pops up in the bistro and says, you have to have this car. If you get this car, you'll be popular. Women will love you, and you'll be successful. My first thought was, a $100,000 car, I could probably do without that. But that's what greed does. Greed keeps saying, you need more and more and more. And so Jesus tells a parable to this rich young man about another rich man who had a farm. And he had had a wonderful crop that year, so much so that he had no place to store all that God had blessed him with. So instead of him saying, let me take my excess, my surplus, and give it to people in need, he said, I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns so I can sit back and relax on my laurels. I will eat, I will drink, and I'll be merry. 
And our parable goes on to say, that night the Lord came to him and said, tonight your soul is required of thee. And who will get all the things you've collected? All the presents, all the trophies, all the awards, all the things that we valued in life. When we are gone, who gets all of those? When I was a young pastor, a retiring pastor gave me one good word of wisdom to tell my people in ministry. He says, remember to, and to always tell your people that hearse do not come with a luggage rack. You can't take it with you. The Egyptians tried, and we find tombs and pyramids full of the things they thought they were taking with them. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about money, and honestly, one of the, as a pastor, it's one of the least popular sermons that you actually give. When you mention you're going to do that, it's amazing how many people don't show up that Sunday. Uh, but we do live in a world, a society, where materialism is really an important part of our life, especially being blessed with wealth here in America. I'm reminded of an 80s song by the pop star Madonna, not the one headlining the Catholic Church, for those younger audiences. But it was a song called Living in a Material World. And the entire song was about how the world around us has become very, very focused on things. So I want to first talk to you about some misconceptions about money. Number one, you may have heard this one before, but money is the root of all evil. People often quote that as being from the Bible. Well, it's not. The actual Bible verse says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, from 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. And that's a huge difference in the way that's read and interpreted. Because money in and of itself is neither good nor bad. It's not evil or good. It is our attitude about money that turns money into something that can be a blessing or a curse. What swings the pendulum for us is our attitude more than having money itself. It's not sinful to have an inheritance. It's not sinful to be wealthy. But what you do with the things that God has given you can be a blessing in your life and the life of others or not. Another misconception about money is God needs your money or the church, the congregation will close. Now, in my ministry, I had the blessing of serving smaller congregations. And as a smaller church with a lot of family members that I had, there's always a temptation to go, hey, if the church doesn't give, then we don't get a chance to eat. And you can tell we didn't miss many meals. <laughs> but we can get the idea that if the church is going to close, it's because the people of God aren't being faithful, and somehow God needs your money for the church to go on. And that's just not true. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 50, verse 10, where God says this to us, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. You don't do stewardship as a congregation because God needs your money, because God doesn't. You do stewardship as a congregation because you get a chance to be a blessing with the gifts that God has given you to the ministry in this community. It is your work with your pastor and your leadership and all of you together, using your gifts, your talents, and your abilities, that you make a difference in God's kingdom in this place. Your gifts are going to support the gospel being proclaimed from this building. That somebody can walk in here on the weekend or during the week 
and they can hear about Jesus because of your gifts and your, your donations and your dedication to God and his kingdom. You give to advance the ministries you've been talking about over the last six weeks. You give because God has blessed you richly, and you get a chance to be a blessing to those around you. But God doesn't need your money. God's already rich. God's already generous. God has many blessings he wants to give to you and to the church. So when churches do close, in my experience, it's not because they don't have enough money. It's because they've lost sight of the mission. I watch churches all the time struggle to forget why they are there. And they are there to proclaim in in, an unapologetic fashion about the love and the ministry of Christ Jesus and how much dearly God loves them and the community around them. When churches close, they lose sight that they are there to be the proclamation of Christ in that place, to reach out to those who have not yet heard, to be a witness, to be a bright light in the midst of darkness, that they've forgotten that they were called to teach, to preach, to baptize. That's why churches sometimes close. Another misconception is that having more money will make me happy. The problem with that is the target keeps moving about happiness. Financial guru Ken Roberts said that he would design his life. He wanted to make his first million dollars. When he got that first million dollars, he would then be happy. We got a million, and guess what? He says, well, I got a million dollars. Now I'm not quite happy. So now the target became $5 million. So he got to $5 million and realized, you know, I'm, I'm still not happy yet. So then he said, now I'm going to do $10 million. In that process of getting the $10 million, he realized that no matter how much money he had, no amount of money could give him contentment. You see, happiness is based on our circumstances. If I have enough to survive, if, my health, if I'm healthy and my family's in good condition, then maybe I can be happy. But God never promises us to be happy. He talks about being content. And the way God describes that is in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's about understanding I can be content no matter what my situation is because I have Christ as my Lord and Savior. And while this life may not be ideal, it may have its challenges and its struggles, I can't be content because I know that Christ has my future, and he has my present, and he will never abandon me, he will never forsake me, but he will be with me always. And I can be content in my situation no matter what that situation is, because in my weakness, God's strength lives through me. My grace, God says to me, is sufficient. So when we talk about money, we always get down to the nitty-gritty. Okay, pastor, what amount should I give? The Bible says 10% is a good starting point, but I would, I would offer you a different perception of that. From 2 Corinthians 9, Paul was working with a congregation that had made a pledge to give to the, mat, to the church in Jerusalem because they were going through severe famine. And if you know in the history of the Jews and the Christians, Jewish and Gentile Christians, there was always tension there. So for a Gentile church that we're going to help our Jewish Christian brothers was phenomenal. It inspired other people to want to give. 
Well, the problem was they made that pledge but didn't fulfill that pledge. So Paul, in a very pastoral way, reminds them of the pledge they made, reminds them that their gift inspired others to give. But he tells them this. You should give whatever you decide in your heart to give, not under compulsion, not with a sense of reluctancy. And then he adds this. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I'm going to teach you one Greek word you can go back and impress all your friends with. The, the Greek word for cheerful is the word hilarion, where we get the word hilarious. So what Paul's actually saying is God loves a hilarious giver. When I was a pastor in Milwaukee, we had an, a part of my staff, an African immigrant congregation, an African immigrant pastor from Nigeria, and he said to me, you know, I've, I've watched your service for about a few months now, and I'm a little confused by something. He says, when it comes time for the offering, you don't seem to be very happy about that. He says, in my church, we, we play celebratory music, our, our ushers dance the offerings down the aisle, but you Lutherans don't seem to do that. Like I said, well, first of all, they're German. <laughs> they're not that happy during the offering, and there's no dancing. But he kind of embodied what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9. Imagine what it would be like to have a hilarious church giving hilariously to God during the offering. But not just then, but their service and with their time. Imagine walking in and seeing people hilariously serving God and his kingdom all around the church. Imagine what that will look like to the unbelieving world. You actually like being here? You actually like giving your gifts and your money to God? You actually like giving up your time to be part of what God's doing in this place? The call for us as Christians is to find that amount of time and talents and treasure that we can give back to God with a hilarious spirit, a joyful spirit, because God has blessed us much. And the way... Paul ends that section with the Corinthian churches with this. Giving thanks to God for the indescribable gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Somebody once told me that we have a generous God who gives way beyond what we could possibly ever imagine. And John 3.16 reminds us of that. For God so loved the world that he gave, and the Greek word is his one and only unique son, his one-of-a-kind son. He gave to the world an indescribable, unique gift that no one else could possibly give. He gave the world his very best because God is a generous and loving God, and he constantly shows us his generosity by giving his son, his unique son, as an offering and a gift to the world. And the reason why we give back to God is so that we can share that one and only unique gift with the world. So, St. Paul, first of all, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Thank you for your commitment the past years. Thank you for your giving, for your ministry, for your witness in this place. Thank you for living up and stepping up and being the people of God that makes an impact in Kankakee and in Bourbonnais. God's watching. God notices your commitment. 
and he's thankful for your commitment to his kingdom and the advancing of the gospel. In a few minutes, you'll get a chance to fill out your commitment cards and ask yourself, how can I give my time, my talents, and my treasure to God in a hilarious way so that this ministry from this place can continue and more and more people can be blessed and hear the most important message we have. Christ gave his life as a ransom for many so that those who are still lost can be brought into fellowship with the Almighty. Amen. May the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.